You are listening to the Hybrid Cloud How-To Series with host Andre Tost, brought to you by IBM. All right, welcome everyone to this episode of the Hybrid Cloud How-To Series. Today, we're, we're in for a real treat. We got Jerry Como with us, and he's not only an IBM fellow, as is every other guest on this show, but he is also the CTO of Hybrid Cloud Automation. So obviously, that, that gives us the topic of today's conversation right there with the job title, namely how to automate in the context of hybrid cloud. Thanks a lot for coming, Jerry. Hey, Andre. Thanks for having me. So let's start out with introductions. Um, if you could just tell us kind of your, your, your professional background, how you got to be where you are today. Yeah, Andre. Uh, sometimes it feels like it's my first year in the industry but I suspect it's been a few more. In fact, I started my career at IBM Research in New York. I would venture to say at the dawn of the internet, and I feel every day that I'm incredibly fortunate to be on the front line of many of the technology trends that have happened over that three-decade period that has elapsed. And you've been there for, for a lot of it with me. Internet software, middleware, including being named one of the founding fathers of our IBM WebSphere software. And from this, to really learn and participate in launching some of the most, I, I would say, iconic e-businesses of the late 90s and early 2000s, think like eBay and the Go Network. Sport fans, you know what the Go Network is, right? In fact, it's something I always take notice of, and it makes me smile. Like if you go to ESPN.com, the host name, the full host name is ESPN.go.com. So that was a really a formative network from a performance, live sports scores, and getting that all to work over the internet. So I had the fortune of working with companies like that, but also many big enterprises, banks creating their internet presence, Charles Schwab, Bank of America. So my thing was transaction systems. I like to say it still is. In fact, high performance transaction systems. And Andre, to think about performance, and you know this, is it's the crossroads to so many IT topics from scalability to resiliency to best practices, you know, both patterns and anti-patterns and building software. And sometimes I get a kick out of this. Sometimes performance is an acronym for it either works or it doesn't work. So when we have a performance problem, it can mean just about anything. So I learned in those early days of the internet and beyond, really in the school of hard knocks, you know, I learned so much about what is considered today cloud from some real industry luminaries. Now, I, I never had the opportunity to work on a mainframe, but I was fortunate to meet many of the founding fathers of mainframe software like Kix. And they taught me so much about things like virtualization, workload management, autonomic computing, high performance transaction systems. All these things today, I think you would agree, are deeply ingrained in cloud principles and cloud architecture. So, Andre, it feels like I've been working out in a cloud gym getting ready for this day. And, and incredibly fortunate to be on the front line of these technologies, as I said, but probably the coolest part has been the people that I met along the way and learned from. And certainly, Andre, you know, I have a big call out to you on that one, too. And then recently, I've helped IBM launch the blockchain initiative, and that really brought to bear all kinds of things related to cloud-based transaction processing, distributed computing, cryptography. And now AI-powered automation, which kind of brings me back to my roots of where I started graduate school, studying AI at Syracuse University. Here we are, coming out of the gym. I'm a little bit sweaty, but uh, ready to, <laughs> to take on the big run here for hybrid cloud. All right. And we, we will make sure we dig into some of the things you mentioned a little deeper. Uh, but before we do that, 
I guess, so you mentioned cloud a couple of times. You didn't necessarily mention hybrid cloud. I feel like also in past episodes, we, we always kind of go about what is the definition of, of hybrid cloud to begin with? And I think we've settled, you know, collectively on a fairly broad definition of hybrid cloud, as in covering all kinds of aspects of application architecture, the infrastructure, the management styles and so forth. So what, what's your definition? What's your elevator speech about, you know, what, what is the hybrid cloud really? If you gave me a word, hybrid cloud is flexibility. That's kind of where I would start. And Andrea, hybrid cloud is defined first and foremost as a cloud. So at its center is the flexibility of a cloud-based architecture. So development model, running and managing your applications without excess. Also allowing you to support exactly what you need. Managing your applications without excess, that's kind of what I mean by that. And allowing you to work in a model of pay as you go or pay as you grow. You pay for high availability when you need high availability. You pay for performance and scale when you need performance and scale. And when you don't need it, it goes away and you only pay for what you use. Some say that's elastic. I say that's flexibility. So hybrid cloud at its core is cloud. But as you said, there's more. Hybrid adds something critical, which I would say is flexibility where it matters most. And specifically, where it matters most to your business. It, it might matter most that my da data never leave my private data center because some of industry regulation or not leave my country because of some regional law. Cost might matter most when you're running, let's say, machine learning training models. So it matters what cloud you run in because maybe that cloud has effective GPUs. So that matters most. Matters most might be running a multi-tier architecture. So it matters that I run the data tier on my mainframe where my high-performance secure payment system is running there, let's say, and the presentation tier runs on an edge server closest to my end user's mobile device, perhaps in a telco cloud. So hybrid cloud to me presents businesses and IT with the flexibility to run applications and the microservices that make them up where they matter most. So flexibility where it matters most. Clouds are evolving as, as most businesses do with personality and specialty. So take grocery stores. You as a consumer shop at many stores, right? Why? Because you find that that store has a specific specialty. So you like meat from that store, uh, specific mustard from that store. Well, customers engage clouds in a similar way. And I think this notion of hybrid plays into that story. So you can use, they, they use clouds because of their specialty. Like it might have a, a CRM, a customer relationship management software package that they like on that cloud. Maybe they pick another cloud because of its search capabilities and another cloud because of its hardware security modules that provide the cryptography to run workloads that handle personal identity information. In the end, most customers have a dozen or more clouds, and this is kind of hybrid that they buy into. They go to those clouds because it has properties that matter to them. Hybrid cloud gives you the flexibility to utilize the cloud services for what they do best. And of course, use the services elastically, no more, no less. Yeah, and I, I actually like that shopping analogy, right? Because it's almost, and, and I think, you know, in IT terms, I think of it as portability is one element of it. That's the starting point, being able to take your, you know, just like you described, being, being able to take your applications where they best fit based on whatever your criteria are, but then also having them integrated, plugging the ability to plug them yep. together. And yep. so if I were to go yep. back to that shopping 
analogy is that you could say, well, we, we might go to different stores to buy, say, for a home improvement project, right? I might, may buy some wood somewhere and I may buy the screws somewhere else and I may buy my tools in a third store, but I'm using all of them on a combined solution, on a combined that's output, right? right? So that right. notion of integration is absolutely, really absolutely. All right, so so let's talk. Let, let's move into automation. Okay. Then um, I remember in one of the previous episodes we talked to Tamar, who you know obviously, and and she said for her the beginning of cloud. What made cloud the cloud was the need for automation. Mm-hmm. So she basically tied those two things very tightly together and basically said what 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 start we did. Many things before. What made it cloud was the fact that we started automating. Yeah. And so, can you talk a bit about kind of you know how how have you experienced automation influence what we do architecturally and also in terms of how we implement solutions? Sure, sure. And I agree with Tumar. And let's face it, automation has been around a long time. And in fact, when I say a long time, it's like as long as people use tools to make their life easier. So that can be generations. In fact, some of the earliest patents, Andre, for automation can be found like around like the steam engine, steam engine regulators. And like this is at the dawn of the industrial era. Automation has been around for, for a long time. And the process of automation is also critical. And as we look at it in a cloud environment, it's important to understand the process of automation. Often automation is viewed as a closed loop system or a feedback system. And we talk about the phases of that closed loop process of discover, decide, act, and then continuously optimize as kind of the foundation of that process. In fact, I called it discover, decide, act, optimize years ago when IBM was launching its initial cloud endeavor around its smart cloud. It used MAPE, the MAPE loop monitor. I don't know what APE stands for, but it's the same It's the same thing. In the end, regardless of where it's being applied, there's two noteworthy effects. I call it the two-step dance. One is to eliminate repetitive mundane tasks from our hands as humans. And this does a number of things right off the bat. It reduces errors. We tend to be somewhat error prone, especially if we're doing the same thing over and over again, we get bored. But also by reducing these repetitive mundane tasks, it also gives us time back, hopefully time to do things that matter more to our business. So that's that's step one. But step two is automation could also help augment our skills, right? So now we're freed up. We could use automation to help us humans do our job better, right? And whether that's maintaining a cloud providing customer support. And we'll talk about how technology evolution comes into that, like AI, to really help these two steps. But what that gets and why people get so excited and businesses get so excited about automation is it results in in speed. Again, get the human element out of the critical loop and things could go faster, higher quality, reducing cost. But don't just stop at cost reduction. You have an opportunity to present a better customer experience along the way. So that's kind of like the net of, of automation. Yeah. So the uh, w- one thing that 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 um, caught my attention here, what you just said, is this notion of a loop, right? Yeah. That automation is not a one-way street. And obviously, that's where I begin. You know, I, I identify a set of steps that I execute repeatedly. And so like I could automate those set of steps. But then to go back and start over and say, how did that work? Can I improve on it? And what is the outcome of it? And can I optimize and can I improve? And that's 
that seems to me like a more recent trend in terms of automation, that's how right. to continuously imp improve on the automations I do. Yeah, and that's right, Andre. And I'd, I would say two things have really turned automation, or I would say given it a, a, an accelerant, a propellant recently. And one is even like the pandemic, you look at the pandemic, everything is digital. I mean, ordering a pizza, telemedicine, all businesses are kind of like computers, like almost like cars. Cars are like computers, like the Tesla car. And the software that runs those cars use the APIs in the car to do amazing things. In fact, so amazing, they've reached the pinnacle of automation, which is autonomous. So with those APIs, the car has become digital powered. With digital powered, the applications for that computer we call a car is automation software. Right now, businesses and clouds have become exactly the same. They are digital powered. They have APIs. They're fully programmable. They're like computers. So we have now the opportunity to write software to really orchestrate and get these things to work to our liking, to work where it matters. And I would say it, it's the APIs that these clouds and businesses possess that allow them to be programmable. That's kind of one why now, but the other why now is technology in the form of AI, specifically machine learning, natural language processing, computer vision. This really gets underneath and complements the digital abilities of these clouds and brings the ability to bring intelligence to the table. And the issues with some levels of automation, I'd say the bane of automation up until recently has been unstructured data, documents, emails, anything that you would find on a Slack channel or in a GitHub repo, all unstructured, right? And typically automation and applying intelligence comes to a screaming halt. When there's things that are hard to decipher, you need to turn to a human to help decipher it. But now with machine learning models and natural language processing, automation could actually use AI to go further, to do more. And you're seeing it peak with some interesting new areas of IT, like AI ops coming along. So it's been around, but there's something special now, thanks to the pandemic really giving it, I would say, a boost. AI really depends on digital and digital companies are now like cars. They're, they're computers that can be programmed. So put all this together, the modern cloud really benefits from this current state where AI and digital allow you to basically just do about just about anything. Any process, any task now is ripe for automation. So I, I think of it as kind of a two-dimensional landscape. One is what is it that you're automating? And this goes into business versus IT. And I want to elaborate on that a little bit. And the other one is how do I automate, right? And that goes into how can I do it intelligently? How can I continuously improve? I think when we first start talking about automation, coming yep. back to Tamar's comment about cloud and automation, that was IT infrastructure automation. That's, That's kind right. of where it started. That was the ability to stand up a server somewhere with the click of a button. Or the ability to create a database somewhere with a click of a button. And then it kind of evolved from there into why stop there? And so sometimes I feel like it 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 used to be a means to an end, and now it has become the end the, the, the end in itself, so to speak, right? So the roles have almost reversed in that automation is not just a useful utility anymore. It's becoming a core part of my business. And then That's right. that leads into saying, and why limit it to IT? I can automate my whole business. 
perfect, Andre, spot on in a sense that automation is best used around processes. And talk to any ops manager and ask them about their IT processes. They're abundant. So you can apply AI-powered automation to just about any process, whether it's business or IT. In fact, I'll even go further to say that there's wonderful things. There's actually a multiplier that happens when you use them together. But on the business side, there are many unique opportunities to automate. For example, claims processing in an insurance scenario. Think about claims coming in from all different, all different venues, email, phone calls, many different forms. And being able to pre-process the unstructured data coming along with a claim to be able to error check it before it actually gets brought to the, the adjustment department. That whole process of how you can automate a business process transcends claims, whether it's being able to apply for a loan, the similarities on how you can use various techniques and in intelligent document processing, robotic process automation, and things of that nature. But again, if you look at IT processes, you know, similar things happen. You know, you get a complaint, you get uh, my systems down, you generate a ticket, then the ticket gets progressed to various levels of investigation and finally closed, right? That's a, that's a process itself that would benefit. But one of the things that I'm starting to see is the two being linked together. And as I said, there's a multiplier that I'm not sure that we've, we've seen or appreciated today. So Andre, if you don't mind, two quick examples. Imagine a node going down on a server, a very IT-centric outage. And it's one node maybe of a number of payment server instances. Let's say you have four payment servers and one instance was associated with that node that went down. Well, by using insights from across your, your organization, you can now say, hey, that payment server had 300 sessions active. And of those sessions, there were 40 accounts associated with it. So now you're, you're starting to transcend IT data with business data and insights. So of those 40 accounts, one account was you know, applying for a big loan. Oops, oh, you don't want to lose that. And another account had some goods in their shopping cart that had 10K worth of profit for your company. All right, so now you're starting to get more business insights. You know, one of the clients was a platinum loyalty level, et cetera. So now on that IT outage, if you can link all the way across, you can start to automate the response from a customer support service perspective, right? So what you've just done is linked your IT outage and the impact from a business lens. You can tell there's 300K US associated with that node going down with these 40 customers, et cetera. But if you flip it around, Andre, you get another cool effect by linking automation between business and IT. So let's say your business is an airline and you detect weather patterns coming and that you're going to have thunderstorms in the Atlanta area. You know that some number of planes are due to land and take off during the time of the projected thunderstorms. What you can start to do is automate in a linked way across business and IT to say, okay, I know there's a thousand flights with you know 10,000 passengers associated. I know where these passengers are coming from. 
I can start to proactively reach out to them to start thinking about rebooking. I can start automating with some Ansible scripts my OpenShift clusters and provision new instances or additional instances of booking services so that when the customers, all 10,000 or 100,000 customers log on, there'll be services there to, to be able to handle the increased load. Automation is certainly been done, I'd say traditionally on the IT side and on the business side in silos. I think that's still very active today and very fruitful. But now in this hybrid mode, when you start connecting the two together, I think there's a multiplier effect that we haven't seen before. And I really encourage, think about it end to end. You mentioned a couple of times now, we need insights, we need to gain insights. So I, I would like to throw kind of a, a technology piece in there, namely that we're doing containers and Kubernetes. And sometimes mm -hmm. I get the question like, why? What, what's the benefit there, right? And one of my answers is, that we get an, a common and consistent abstraction layer. That means that the target landscape that I'm gaining insights from is a tr abstracted in a common model, namely that everything is a resource that I can describe with a piece of YAML, for example, which helps automation to begin with. But that also helps me kind of watch my target state, so to speak, and can now start discovering if bad things happen, so to speak, which then puts a lot of these things in motion, like the example you just mentioned with a node went down, what do I need to do, right? If that node becomes an abstract resource that I can describe and watch and monitor in a common way across everything I do, then that makes it a lot easier to have common sets of automations that I can apply to it. Andre, that, that is the secret to successful automation in a hybrid environment. We just established at the top of this call, and I think on most of your episodes, that Hybrid cloud is a reality of today. You know, take the shopping analogy. The flip side of that, the, the challenge is all of these places, these destinations are different. Different ways of provisioning, of monitoring, of securing. And at some level, to get these orchestrated, to get these to work, as you said, buying your nails there, your, your lumber there, to actually be able to build something, to create an application that holistically runs across, you need to normalize. The beautiful part about Kubernetes and then our commercial distribution through Red Hat OpenShift is for the first time in the generations that I've been working in this, in this industry, software actually has a predictable normalized shape. Through these things that we know of as operators that help you consistently operate and manage software and containers. And I think that is a really big deal. And maybe saying it's a big deal is, is not giving it enough credit because I'm not quite sure how you would actually pull this off without technology like this, let alone automate. I mean, how, the, the way to successfully dealing with the flexibility and to do things where they matter, which is how I define hybrid cloud, is through some level of normalizing or else you'll go nuts and you'll miss out on great opportunities to automate where you get that speed, that quality assurance, that overall better user experience. So I cannot agree with you more that normalizing through modern container Kubernetes, through a solid commercial distribution like OpenShift may not just be a breakthrough, it may be the way, <laughs> the only way that I know of to actually sensibly get your arms around this flexibility. And I think I've heard you say earlier that 
Um, this is now this this transition to using the, these technologies that we talked about is in fact triggering a change in how we build solutions that is fundamental, that is significant, that is something that only happens every 10 or 20 years or so. That's right. That's right. Yeah. No, I, I think we are just getting started. I think now with hybrid cloud, with the ability to normalize through the standards that we've talked about, we get that being digital, going digital as the first step. You can't automate something unless that thing is programmable, right? Well, you can't program 50 th different bespoke things in a sensible way. With this architecture around Kubernetes and OpenShift, you have the means to actually program and automate your systems, whether they're on the developer side, whether they're on the IT side, whether they're on the business side, you actually now have this consistent plane where you can monitor with turning the lights on in your business so you can actually see what's happening across these properties. You can optimize then with automation software. You can actually go beyond with AI and start predicting and do things that you couldn't do before. I mean, with AI ops, you can start to do things like where most of the world is measuring time to recovery as their key metric for IT. You can start avoiding incidents altogether with this level of visibility across your systems. Yeah, I remember we in IBM, we, ran, we used to run a marketing campaign that was called the Smarter Planet, right? I don't know if we still That's have right. that, <laughs> but you almost think like if we hadn't already had it, you know, this would be a good time to start it, start one. Because that's really a impactful change is that not only do we want to automate, we've been automating things for a long time, but now we want to do it intelligently. And that's really what's, what's kind of new, what, what comes to the equation here. That's right, Andre, certainly. Okay. Time flies when you're having fun. We're almost out of time. I, let me ask you one last question. Kind of, yes. and, you, and I think I, I suspect I already know the answer is like, when you get up in the morning, what is it really? What is that one thing that gets you excited? It makes you say, I can't wait to get to work. Oh, geez. It sounds cliche, but it's the people I work with. And it's, it's an unfair advantage working in this industry with the people that I get to work with every day. In fact, it's why I started the podcast, The Art of Automation. As I started on this new automation journey, I started talking with just people that make me want to get up and talk more to them. So I, I, I couldn't keep those experiences locked up to myself. I started sharing them. But I think that's really what it is. It's it's the pursuit of really doing something new for our clients that they weren't expecting. And to do it requires people. Getting to meet the people I had over the, the few decades that I've worked is really great because you, you never stop knowing them. You never stop collaborating with them as they move jobs, as they move companies. It's always great to collaborate with them. I think the, the podcast is a way to share and celebrate my collaborations with some of the real industry luminaries around this topic. And uh, certainly we're cross inviting each other because you were recently a guest on my podcast. So thanks for that, Andre. And thanks for your, your collaborations over the years. Yeah. And, and in full disclosure, I have to admit that the idea, or I, I stole at least some inspiration from that podcast that you started for this one. So. Well, fair payback. I've stolen many things from you over the years. So thanks. <laughs> All right. With that, thanks a lot, Jerry. Uh, great conversation as always. And um, I think we'll, we'll end the podcast episode with that. And thank you all for listening and we'll see you all soon.